We, we, uh, we kind of view it as a club or, or as an organization, and, and it means a whole lot more than that. And, and one of the greatest evidences for me that the church means more than what, what many of us think is how much it meant and how much it means to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, if I want, we need to realize that if somebody that you love or somebody that is important in your life values something, then we should give special attention to that. You know, I have a father, and um, he had five children, and I am a father, and I have four children. And it's amazing how much as you interact as a child of your father, or as the father of children, how much you learn about the person of God. The things that are good about me, the things that are bad about me. They both teach me about the character of God. And one of the things that that strikes me about the Lord and how He's designed us is the heavy influence that fathers have on their children. I'll just give you some examples. Um, My dad likes to do a couple things. Okay, A few things. My dad really likes to watch football. Okay, My dad loves to do woodworking. And my dad is pretty passionate about golf. And the funny thing is, if, if we could pull out a, a scrapbook of my life, it's amazing how many of those things are there. Now, why is that? Why is it that my earliest memory of, of myself and my father, many of my earliest memories, are me down in the basement of my house, there in a sawdust-filled room, and my dad's running a table saw and running a board through it, and I'm there where it's just at this height. You know, I can just barely see it and watching that board go through the table saw. Why is it that I had that experience, and then when I was 27 years old, and I had a home of my own, you know what I put in the basement right below my living room? Same kind of workshop. Same exact thing. Why is it that my dad, when I was about 13, 12 years old, started playing golf, and he would go to the golf course, and it was pretty expensive for our family, so I would make like little golf courses in my backyard, all right, and have these little like plastic balls and go down there and hit them around in the yard to these pins that I'd put in the ground, and you know, kind of strange kid, I know, but that's what I did. Had a little golf course in my backyard, six holes as a matter of fact, and I would knock around to one to the other, and when my dad would go golfing, I would go down the backyard and I would play with my plastic golf balls, real clubs, but plastic balls, and I would play golf. And then over the years, you know, I, my golf game developed, never to Pastor Brock's level, but, but you know, I, I did enjoy playing the game. I've kind of given it up now, but why is that? Why is that? Is it something we just, you know, did I inherit him from him, like this desire to play golf, or I don't think so. I think what happens is, as we understand what, the, what those things are, that the people we value value, they become valuable to us. Let me put a verse up on the screen. We talked about it last week. Um, go ahead to the Matthew 16 passage for me, please. There it is. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. We need to recognize that the Lord has established the institution of the church. And it means much more than we think it does. There is something supernatural about just us gathering here and opening up God's Word. If I didn't believe that, if I did not believe that something supernatural can happen here, I would quit my, quote, job because i got to walk up here and talk to you. And I am trusting that God is going to do a supernatural thing here with the declaration of God's Word. And I believe that it it has a a stamp of approval and a stamp of authenticity and a stamp of authority in our lives that you don't find on the radio, that you don't find on the television, that you don't find on YouTube. Now, don't get me wrong. I know you will find much better preachers. You will find much better worship. I understand that. That's a reality. But the gathering together of God's people to worship Him, to open up God's Word, for you right now, I I hesitate to say this, 
But for us, for us, right now, the very best speaker for all of us to hear, not because of value, not because of talent, not because of comic ability. I mean, listen, I'm stumbling over my words. But the very best person for this moment to hear from God's Word right now for us is me right now. Why? Because God has His special hand on the church and on this church. And that is humbling. It is humbling. But it is also empowering. And I know that though I may struggle with my words, though I may misspeak at times, though I may have the wrong slide on the screen or the wrong blank on your sheet, I know that God is going to use His Word in our lives. And this cannot be replaced. And it will not be replaced. I don't care what comes. I don't, people ask me, Lord, what if persecution comes to the America? What are we going to do? We're going to keep being the church. What do you mean, what are we going to do? We're going to do the same thing. They're doing it in China today, aren't they? They're doing it in Syria today, aren't they? God's church is going to continue and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's a great truth. But what we try to do is we try to come up with like a, an analogy type institution so we can understand the church. And I want to start with one of those each of these weeks. And, and the one I want to start with today is some of us view church like it's a big concert or maybe a little concert. We view it like it's a concert. You think about a concert, in a lot of ways, this is a lot like a concert. I mean, we all file into this room, right? We all sit in rows, okay? And somebody comes up front. We've already had some up here playing some music. And now somebody's going to talk in front of us. In a lot of ways, maybe this is like a concert. We all gather here together and we listen to what somebody has to offer. And our hope... Our hope is that we'll get excited. And, and in a concert, sometimes you get excited. Sometimes you're at a concert and you might sing along, right? You might stand up and you might put your arms in the air. And you might light a lighter and do some of this, right? At a concert. And if you really like a concert, you go home and what do you do? You start talking to your friends about it. Like, man, I had this great concert. It was really cool. You, they're going to come again to town, you know, next year. You've got to come with me. And the thing about this concert here is, you don't even need a ticket. You just show up, and it's free. It's free. What an opportunity, right? A lot of us view church in that way. And there's a danger there. There's a danger. Because a concert, when you, when you come to a concert, it is a gathering, that's true. But really what it's about, for me, for you, we're at a con- it's what can I get, Right? We come to a concert and we, what can I, what can you give me? You know, whoever, Aerosmith, what will you give me? You know, Toby Mac, what will you give me? We, we come to receive. We come to get. And in reality, we, we evaluate its effectiveness by what I got. Oh, yeah, it was kind of boring. You know, they tried to do those songs, they were off that night. I'm not going to go back again. Do we view the church in that way? Are you asking, are you making statements like this when you leave? Boy, I didn't get much out of that today. I appreciate it, Pastor Billy, leading that song, but boy, I didn't get much out of that thing. Or, boy, I love that song. I got a lot out of that song. They did a great, and I got a lot out of that. Pastor Lowe today, when he said that, I really got a lot out of that. Or, I didn't really get much out of that. See, a concert's all about the spectator. It's all about the spectator. And that's not what this is. Church is not a concert. It's a special gathering of God's people for God's purpose. But it's not a concert. Where we're going today is worship. I want to put a quote up on the screen from A.W. Tozer. Um, I like to read Tozer once in a while. He's very, very challenging. Um, He says this, We should not be concerned about working for God until we have learned 
now listen to this, learned the delight of worshiping Him. Now that's going to be important for us today. The delight of worshiping Him. The next set of words are a little bit small, but a worshiper, listen, this is very important. A worshiper can work with eternal quality in his work. But a worker, or I would say church member, church attender, spectator, occasional person who comes to, whatever. A worker who does not worship is only piling up wood and hay and stubble. Wow. Referring to the passage in Corinthians, where those things that we do outside of pleasing Christ will burn up like wood and hay and stumble. And stubble, that is. Worship. Worship is what we're going to talk about today. And I want to challenge us with the idea that we were made as worshipers. Open up your Bible with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. If you're going to talk about worship and what Jesus' view is, it's pretty hard not to land in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Now let's just talk about worship for just a minute before we read it, because the word worship is in this passage. You need to know that worship dominates the Bible. It dominates the Bible. It is from beginning to end, worship is there. It's important for us to know what I mean by worship, because most of us, when I say the word worship, you think of a song, right? We even set you up that way today with the mixer. When I say worship, you say song, right? That's just how it works. But worship is much, much more than that. It's much more than that. It includes singing. But if that is the limit of your worship, you are not delighting in your worship of God. Just to prove to you that it dominates the Bible, just, just think about this. Adam and Eve in the garden, okay, called to worship God through their obedience. Cain and Abel were called to worship God. Abel did, Cain didn't. As you move through the the history of Scripture, this was interesting, I came across this in a book this week, in the design and description of the tabernacle, okay, there in Leviticus, there's 243 verses describing the tabernacle of God. Where the people of Israel, as they wander around the desert, where they worship God. 243 verses. Yet the Lord only uses 31 to describe the creation of all the universe. Tell me worship doesn't matter to God. We were made as worshipers. Psalms, the longest book of the Bible, dominated by worship. As we move through the the prophets, they see visions of God and angels worshiping Him. In the New Testament, we we see the followers of Jesus worshiping Him. And others come and say, stop. And Jesus says, if they don't worship, what will happen? The stones will worship me. And then when you go all the way to the book of Revelation, it ends with worship. Worship dominates the Bible. Well, what is it? What is it? Here's the definition of worship that uh, that I came across, and it's, it's helpful. Let me read it to you. It says this, worship is our innermost being, so it's inside, responding with praise for all that God is, through our attitudes, actions, thoughts, and words, based on the truth of God as He has revealed Himself. So it's our guts shouting out how awesome God is through our words and our actions and just the way He calls us to. I put a, a passage on your, on your, on your worship notes. Um, it's 1 Peter chapter 9. And I've decided that this is my definition of worship. Here it is. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. To worship is this. To proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's what worship is. To proclaim how excellent God is. And what I've learned in my walk with Christ is this. I have opportunity to worship God every day. Whatever you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. 
when I wake in the morning, I am filled with opportunities to declare the praises of God's excellent character, how awesome He is. It's important to God. We were made to worship Him. And worship means a whole lot more than what you think it does. You're in John chapter 4. Um, let me just read the main part of what I want to look at today, and then I'll tell you some of the story, and then we'll see how it applies to us. Verse 20, Jesus, this, Jesus has asked this question. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus says to this woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to speak to us from this passage. Father in heaven, Lord, we do want to worship You now in our listening and in our preaching. We want to worship You. We want to declare Your praises, Lord. You are excellent. We are unworthy of You, but yet You have made us Your children. So now, Lord, dominate our lives with your worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus here is traveling from Judea to Galilee. He's traveling north. And in this time and in this land, there is a huge racial divide. There is a a divide. Really, it's more than two uh, groups of people. There are many groups that are racially divided against one another. And Jesus is a Jewish man, and he is now making the choice to travel through Samaria, which a good Jewish person wouldn't do. It took three extra days, typically, to travel out of the way to go from Judea to Galilee. And Jesus went straight through. Everybody else usually went around. And on his way through Samaria, Jesus stopped. It was a hot afternoon. He stops next to a well. His disciples are with him. They don't understand why they're there. They're bothered by this. But Jesus sends them to basically get them lunch. And so they go. And then there is a divine appointment. A worship appointment. A woman comes to the well. She has no idea what is in store for her. But God has this moment in mind. She comes to get water. She's going to find the Savior. She comes there to the well and Jesus says, hey, can you give me some water? Now this is unheard of in her mind. She can't fathom what's happening. She can tell by Jesus' look, by by what he's wearing, by who he is, that he's a Jewish man, a Jewish rabbi. And she knows that they should not even be talking. And she even says that to him. We shouldn't even be talking. But Jesus asked her to get him some water. And then this dialogue goes on. This question back and forth. As Jesus revealing His deity, as Jesus revealing that He is God in the flesh, ask her questions. And these questions put His finger, put the finger in her heart on many issues that are are dividing her from God's truth. He deals with the racial divide. He deals with the moral divide. But the one that is important for us is this. He deals with the religious or the worship divide. You see, here's what had happened. The Samaritans had, had kind of broken off from the Jews. We'll just say it for that, for, just say it simply that way. And they had established their own place of worship there in their land. Now the Jews knew that God had told them to travel to Jerusalem regularly to worship God. But the Samaritans didn't want to do that and weren't allowed to do that anyway. So they established their own place of worship there in Samaria. And this is a hotly debated topic of the day. Think of the hottest topic you can come up with in our culture today. 
That's the level that this thing is. And so she comes to Jesus, and we read it, and she's asking him about, well, where are we supposed to worship? How are we supposed to do this? Tell me all the details of how this is supposed to function. Give me the right religious activity. Tell me how the liturgy works. Give me the steps I need to follow. Do I need to have a picture? Do I need to have stained glass? Do I need to have candles? Do I need to have one of these things that smoke comes out of? How am I supposed to worship? Which way am I supposed to point? Am I supposed to bow, stand, hands in the air? What am I supposed to do? Is what she's asking. Now, I filled a lot. She didn't say all that. I filled a lot of things in. But those are the kind of things, if we were going to ask these questions of Jesus, those are the kind of things we would be asking him. Tell me, where am I supposed to worship and what is it supposed to look like? We know it's important to God. Now tell me where and what it should look like. And Jesus answers her. And he gives her a couple things that that I want us to see. In verse 23 and 24, I'm going to put my lines up there. There's going to be a few phrases you need to see here. Jesus is going to indicate that there are true worshipers. Hmm. Think about what that means. What's the implication of that? He's going, to, he's going to let her know that the Father is seeking worshipers. Think of the implication of that. What that means. And finally, he's going to challenge her that we need to worship in spirit and truth. Can I tell you this? That when I worship the Lord through reading of God's Word, because I do, I do, worship isn't always singing. It's compared to the rest of our life, it rarely happens in church. Now think about what that means. Your worship should rarely happen in church. Wait a minute, Lowell, what are you saying? All of my life is opportunity to worship. This should just be like the frosting on top of the cake, right? But when I do worship the Lord through the reading of God's Word, that's what I do. That's what I do. As I'm reading God's Word, I'm looking for phrases and words that speak to my heart. And at times, I've I've underlined them. Other times, I'll write them down in a journal and just... Really, like, Lord, what do you want from me for this? And I dedicate that time of worship. Just me sitting on my couch reading my Bible to the Lord. You see, worship doesn't always look like singing. It looks like many different forms. All right, so, so why did I underline that? We need to understand that when it comes to worshipers, there's true worship and there's false worship. Interesting, isn't it? The fact that Jesus says that there are true worshipers indicates to us that there's such a thing as a false worshiper. And I, just, and I thought about this, and I, and I really broke it up into two groups. You've got sincere false worship. Sincere false worship. And what that is, is worshiping someone or something that's not God. And we can make a list of different false gods that people worship. And they are, many of them are sincerely worshiping the wrong God. They're worshiping a God that's not a God. And that is not true worship. You know, we can make a list here. We could, we could talk about those that are worshiping Allah. That's not God. The character of God does not align with the character of Allah. It's not true. That's not true worship. There are those who worship the the God of Mormonism. He's nothing like the God of the Bible. He's a false God. It's not the same. It's false worship. Jehovah Witnesses, we have have those that are Buddhists and Hindus, and we could just keep making the list of, of all these world religions and cult groups that are sincerely worshiping falsely. Listen to what the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah. He says there's this man who cuts down this tree. It becomes fuel for the man. This is Isaiah chapter 44, verses 15 through 17. And I love this passage. 44, 15 to 17. He takes part of it, and he warms himself, and he kindles a fire, and he bakes bread. And also, he takes that same tree and makes a god and worships it. 
Half he burns in the fire, half he worships. Over the half he eats meat, he roasts and is satisfied. And he says to himself, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol. He falls down to it and he worships it and he prays, Deliver me, for you are my God. It's a a very good sort of attempt at humor here that the Lord makes to indicate the ridiculous nature of sincere false worship. But listen, there is also false worship that is insincere, and I think that most often happens within the realm of Christianity. Because we can sincerely worship the wrong God. But I think what we probably are all a little more prone to is worshiping the right God in the wrong way. And that is the the tenor of this passage. That is the point that Jesus is making. You can worship the real God in the wrong way. We need to recognize that it is very possible. And I think what it looks like often is it looks like man-centered worship. It looks like coming into a, a Christian church and sitting here and being, being driven by a personality that's up front or in the room and worshiping that person, be they a singer or a guitar player or a speaker or just a friend or, or whatever, and worshiping that person. And you can go through all the same motions. You can sing the same songs. You can open the same book. You can fill in the outline. But it has nothing to do with God has nothing to do with God. So there is such a thing as false worship. I trust that when we come together, whether we are meeting here in this room or we're meeting for a focus group, my prayer and hope for this church is that all eyes will always go to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we point. That's where we look. And this protects us This protects our church. It protects us as believers. It protects your leaders here at this church. We need to, yes, we will look towards leaders, but we look at them almost like a window pane, okay? We are looking at them. Paul says, you follow me as I follow Christ. So there's nothing wrong with leadership. But that leader is nothing more than a window pane. And we are looking at them, yes, I'm thankful for leaders in my life. The way that I preach, the way that I father, the way that I live, quite honestly, is from me watching leaders in my past. When I didn't know what to do as a dad, when I didn't know what to do as a husband, when I didn't know what to do as a pastor, I would look to my leaders that I've had in the past and I would think, how has Christ worked through them? So leadership is fine as long as leadership points to Christ. Protect our church. Protect our leaders. Protect yourselves. We must always look to Christ so we can truly worship. Okay, going back to the, to the passage. Actually, you know what? I want, to, I want to read to you a passage the Lord really used in my heart recently. I, I have it down here in my notes to say it now. I think it's on your worship notes somewhere. It's Psalm 95. I'm, I'm working on this. I don't have it yet, but I'm working on this. I want to put this to memory. For the Lord is a great God. Psalm chapter 95, verses 3 through 7. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The reason why I want this passage is because I love to hike. And I'm really looking forward to being on top of Old Rag Mountain and pulling out this card and reading this. Maybe I'll have it memorized by then. Listen to it again. In His hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. And His hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear the Word of God. Worship Him rightly. Worship Him sincerely. 
Okay, going back to our passage, it says here that the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking. I find that very interesting. And, and it's important for us to know what this means. God is seeking true worshipers. Now, we need to recognize that all through Scripture, we see our God as seeking. As seeking. I spent some time just doing a word study on this word, seeking. And I found this this theme of God seeking out His sheep. Ezekiel 34, He's seeking His sheep. Luke chapter 15, He's seeking His lost sheep. Luke chapter 19, he's there with Zacchaeus and he says, the Lord did not come for anything but to bring salvation and to seek those who were lost. Over and over and over and over, we see God seeking. And what he's seeking is worshipers. Now let's deal with this for a minute. You know, I think it's helpful sometimes for me to force you to ask questions that maybe you hadn't thought to ask. I think that's more for me to do that. And so here's a question. If God is seeking worshipers, does that make him vain? Does that make him arrogant? I mean, if, if, if a human were seeking worshipers, oh, come and seek and worship me, right? We you'd stay away from that person. Or flip around another way, does this God, does this make God like this needy little like, you know, peon, like, oh, please, need me, need me. What is it? Is, is God vain? Or is God needy? Or is God something else? I think it's good for us to ask that question. And maybe you never thought to ask it, but It's an implication of the fact that Jesus said that God, the Father, is seeking. I'd like to deal with that for just a minute. We need to remember a couple truths to to balance out the idea that God is either needy or vain. To balance those two things out, we need one truth. And that's this. This one truth is enough to weigh the scale to understand the character of God, and that's this, that God is loving. That God is loving. Now, we need to understand what that means. That doesn't mean that God has, you know, like Valentine hearts for you. That's not what it means. Now, He cherishes us, but that's not what the word love always means. What it means is this, that God wants your very best. God wants the best for you. God loves you and He's committed to your best. God knows what is best. He knows what is most beneficial for you to conform you to the image of His Son so that you will one day be glorified in His presence. He knows what is best for you and He wants what's best for you. And God knows in all of His wisdom and all of His character that if you worship anything else, if you worship anything else in all of creation, you will not have the very best. Why does God want worshipers? Because He loves us. And He wants us to have what is best for us. And the very best for us is to worship Him. That's why God is not vain. And that's why God is not needy. Because He is giving to us the privilege, the blessing of worshiping Him. How sad it is then that we don't. How sad it is that we do not. You see, that's why it is that when I was 27, I told my wife, I want to put a workshop in the basement. And I want to make something out of wood. And she could look at me and said, well, why do you want to do that? Because that's what my dad did. And he found so much joy in it. And it was such a pleasure to him. And I want that same pleasure. So I'm going to do what he did. God wants the best for us. 
And the very best is worshiping Him. That's why He's seeking worshipers. He's not vainly calling for attention. He's lovingly directing us to good. And so then he says in verse 24, probably the key place we're trying to get to, is that worshipers, verse 24, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now Jesus here, we've got to remember what Jesus is doing. To interpret the Bible correctly, we've got to understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is answering this woman in her question. Her question was, where do we worship and how do we do it? That's her question. And so Jesus gives the answer. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, so we worship Him in spirit and truth. Now notice in that passage, by the way, He says that twice. He's seeking worshipers who worship Him in spirit and truth. Okay? And then He says we must worship Him in spirit and truth. It must be a big deal to God. Jesus here said it twice. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now what does this mean? Well, God is spirit. That is His character. That is His nature, I guess. That is His person. He is a spirit. And so what Jesus is saying is, it's no longer about where you are. Oh, Samaritan woman, I love you. I'm trying to bring the gospel to you. It's not about where you are. You worship God wherever you are. Wherever you, so it's not when you come to church that you worship. It's not when you're listening to music. It's not when you're watching somebody lead music. It's not only music. It's all of my life. God is spirit, so I worship Him in spirit. With all that I am, I worship Him. I worship Him in the way that I treat my wife, in the way that I treat my body, in the way that I spend my money, in the way that I spend my time, in the way that I speak to people, in the way that I listen to people, in the things that I believe, in the things that I study. In all these areas, every one of these areas are an opportunity for me to worship God because I have a spirit. I don't have a spirit. I am a spirit. I have a body. I am a spirit. And so I worship Him with everything that I am. God is spirit. Worship Him in spirit. What this gets rid of is all the the sham, the hiding, the, the, the keeping some area of my life from God. You know, it's like I can take this little sin or this little attitude and I can keep it here and I can worship God with everything else, right? No. God's nature is He is one. He is one God. I can't separate Him up into parts. He is spirit. Worship includes everything. It's all laid bare before the Lord. This is so releasing. It's so releasing for me to come to God and worship. And He knows every flaw. He knows every shortcoming. He knows it all. And I do not shudder in fear before Him. Because I have an advocate at His side, Jesus Christ, who is interceding on my behalf and has died for my sin and has made me His Son. I don't have to hide. I am spiritually Worshipping God. And then, we're to worship Him in truth. You see, this woman didn't understand the truth about God. And that's what this is driving at. We need to worship God for who He really is. The truth of who He is. He is the creator of us all. He is the sustainer of it all. He is the only Savior of the universe. He stands now before the throne room of God for us. He loves us. He is holy and righteous. This is who He is. Worship Him for that. So when Jesus says three things to us, He says, there's such a thing as true worship. One. And God is seeking it. He's seeking it. Two. And what it looks like in our life His spirit, all of me, truth, who he really is. Now, that's worship in a nutshell. But I sat and I thought about our church. And I just want to share, now these things, I'm not going to open up my Bible for these. I probably could, but I'm not going to, okay? These are things as I look at our church that that I think we need to talk about. And I feel like as one of the pastors of our church... 
I need to encourage and exhort us on. Okay? Number one is this. Personal and corporate worship is priority. It is. What we do corporately in worship and what we do privately in worship is priority. The coming together as the body of Christ and worshiping Him must be primary in our life. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir right now. I know that. But there is a tendency now in our American way that we will give or take the gathering of God's people. And in a second, if anything comes up in our lives, well, let's stay home today, honey. Right? How many things just bump out corporate worship? And where else do you corporate worship? Do you come together as God's people any other time? Gathering together as the corporate body of, of Christ and worship Him for who He is? I dare say you probably do not. And I tell you, it saddens my heart. It saddens my heart when people I love and I see them, maybe here at corporate worship, and I go up to them and I shake their hand and I sincerely say, I'm so glad to see you. And they say, well, you know, we've really been busy. My heart hurts for them. My heart doesn't hurt for me at that point. Just to be honest with you, it doesn't. It's going to hurt later on. I'm talking about something a little bit where my heart hurts. But at that point, my heart doesn't hurt for me. My heart hurts for them. This must be primary. And men, you are. For you, I trust it is. Don't you quit and don't give up. It's primary. Secondly is this. Re- recognize worship is a response. It's a response. If, if we just stumble in here and we haven't invested, we haven't decided, we haven't prepared our hearts, oh, we can still worship, but we're not doing it the way that God is calling us to. Huge effort. If you look at the Old Testament for, for, the, for the process of worship, understanding we now worship in a different way, but if that is a model for what God intends, look at the effort that goes into preparation for worship. Now, I, I'm blessed. I really am. I'm blessed with a, with a wife and a family, and I get to do something that, that you don't get to do, probably. I leave my house at, like, I shoot for 6.30 on Sunday mornings, okay? And I know you moms and dads, you're getting your kids ready and all that kind of stuff, and my wife helps me out. Publicly, thank you, okay? I can leave on Sunday morning because I want to go somewhere and be away from everybody. Prepare my heart for worship. Now, maybe you can't do that. But there's something else you can do. Let the Spirit of God lead you. Okay, this. And I've said this about six times, 66 times. Worship is not just singing. I know that. I know that. But number four is this. But a worshiping heart sings. It does. You know, I've led worship here twice. And... um, What's that laughing for? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, now listen, there's no judgment here. There's no judgment. But when you're standing up here leading worship, and you look out, because you do. And it's not really true that it's just you and me, Lord. It's not really true. It's all of us. And you look out... And you see somebody who isn't singing. It's hard at that point. You have to make a decision to trust that person's heart. It's hard though. Because we all know a worshiping heart sings. Colossians 3 is clear. That when we are filled by God's Spirit, when when the Word of Christ dwells richly in us, We will sing hymns and spiritual songs. We will sing. Now, I'll tell you what one of the problems are in just a minute, but I've got to get there. Uh, Number five, realize this. God is enough to overcome whatever. I don't care. Fill it in. 
God and His character and His nature, it's, it is enough to overcome. Let me give you a list, okay? It is enough to overcome songs you don't like. It is enough to overcome instruments that you don't care for. It is enough to overcome when Pastor Lowell strings his guitar and it's in the wrong tune. It's enough to overcome when somebody tries to sing and they do a bad job. It's enough to overcome when you've had a bad day. It's enough to overcome when the kids fought all the way to to church that morning. It's enough to overcome when you're sitting there in pain, because some people do. It's enough to overcome when you've got to hide in the basement for fear that the authorities are going to break in and drag us off to jail. God is enough to overcome all of that. We cannot let these excuses, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm sick, I'm this, uh-huh, uh-huh, I'm a whiner. No! God is enough. Okay. Moving along. Corporate worship includes much more than you think. Okay? It includes Scripture. It does. We are to... We are to We are to read the Word of God when we come together. We see that in Paul's words to Timothy. It includes also us singing and us us worshiping the Lord together in that way. It includes us celebrating. We're going to celebrate communion here in a couple weeks. It includes that. It includes us stirring one another on. Don't give up meeting together, but stir one another to continue meeting together. It's worship. It's worship. So quite honestly, when Brock comes up here, Pastor Brock comes up here and says, what is your favorite song? You say, well, that's not just a waste of time. I guess it depends how you use it. You use it as worship. It's a pleasing aroma in the nostrils of God. You say, well, how's that look? That looks like talking to somebody. Going up to somebody and say, hi, my name is Lowell. What's your name? I like Amazing Grace. What song do you like? You ever been, like, new with a group of people? It stinks. Worship. Worship. Corporate worship is a taste of heaven. And can I tell you something? When you're in heaven, no. When we are in heaven, we are going to sing our guts out. We are going to raise our hands. Whoa, you getting charismatic? What's going on here? We are going to raise our hands in heaven. And we're going to say amen. And we're going to sing songs and praise to God. And you're going to cry. And you're going to laugh. And you're going to have a wonderful time. And this is meant to be just a taste of heaven. I'd love for Center Point Bible Church to be a church that worships God freely within the bounds of Scripture. Don't worry about that. But there would be emotion that is felt. And we would see it in our expression of praise to God. I'm standing one time at a football game where my team's getting whooped. And they made a good play and I stood up and went, Yeah! I did that here and I never do in church. I didn't say that. The guy sitting next to me thought I was a freak, I guess, if I said that, but I thought it. Because corporate worship is especially pleasing to God. Just quickly here, corporate worship is especially enriching for the church. It's good to come together. There have been times when, when I've been really discouraged and I have stood here with you And stop singing, don't judge me, Pastor Billy, but stop singing and listen to you. Praise God. And I've thought, oh, you're so good. You're so good. And and my last thing is this. I find that there's an obstacle that we must overcome in our worship. And this one is uh, uh, corporate worship music now. Music. I, we must avoid a few isms. Okay? And there's a lot of things in our culture that are pointing us to this. I'll just tell you what it is. 
I think one of the biggest things that's holding us back as Americans in our worship is American Idol. What are you talking about, Lowell? Watch television and see what we do. All we do anymore, all we're directed to do by those in power is to critique. Critique and be a cynic and skeptic. I think one of the things that's holding us back is this. I stand there and I might even hear, I'm going to use him because I know it isn't true. I hear Pastor Billy sing and he's off. And I think, there's no way I'd pick him on my voice team. He's not coming back next week. We get real cynical. And then what happens, because I'm so quick to criticize and be a cynic and, you know, laugh at this person when they play the wrong note or they, you know, whatever, the the person next to me is completely off and think, they can't sing. You see, in that same grace that I give to everybody else, I give to me. And then I think, I can't sing either, so I'll just keep my mouth shut. And then we're a silent congregation. Worship leaders across the country are commenting that churches are singing less and less and less. Mm -mm. Let's not be that. Let's not be that. And I know God is pleased by my ugly voice that sings out louder than my ugly guitar. And I praise God with my ugly lyrics, maybe. I don't know. They don't come out smooth and clear. But God sees my heart. He is pleased by that. You see, worship means a lot to God. More than what we think. We had to start here. And I pray that God's going to make us a worshiping church. I have this little, I have this little like, fantasy in my mind. All right? We're in heaven. This isn't probably going to happen. Okay, this is Lowell's imagination. This is not in the Bible. Okay? I'm way out of line now. We're in heaven. There before the Lord are multitudes of people. And Jesus is going to say, All right. Get this big clipboard. Center Point Bible Church. Yeah? Lead us in worship. And up will come Billy and the whole rest of them and we'll all stand up and we'll sing and lead all of heaven. Now that's probably not going to happen. But let's sing with that kind of attitude and worship the Lord with all of our guts and spirit and truth.